Welcome to Stack Stories. I'm your host, Jonas Beshauden, founder and CEO of StackShare. It's been a while since you've heard from us, but we are back. Today's episode of Stack Stories is brought to you by STRV, the fastest way to build world-class software. STRV is a full-service digital product agency that works with startups like Tinder, Caviar, Class Dojo, and enterprises like LegalZoom, Hallmark, and Lufthansa to help them design and build digital products. Having built over 250 web, iOS, and Android apps, they have more experience working with the latest technologies like React Native than anyone else out there. If you're looking for help with design, web, or mobile development, check them out at strv.com stackshare and their standard stacks for different verticals like dating apps, on-demand, and IoT on their Stackshare profile at stackshare.io strv. For this episode, we sat down with the one and only Pete Hunt. Pete was part of the original ReactJS team at Facebook and Instagram. He prefers the title OG ReactJS, which does not stand for Open Graph. He is now founder and CEO of a new company called Smite, which is a hosted service that helps you fight online fraud and powers spam and harassment protection for large sites like Quora and GoFundMe. In this episode, we talk about how React was first created its first use within Facebook and at Instagram, how it evolved and where it's headed. If you're interested in React and haven't gotten on the bandwagon yet, this may just push you over. All right, welcome. Uh, Pete, do you wanna introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Pete Hunt, formerly of the React team at Facebook a long time ago, but over the past two, two and a half years, uh, CEO and co-founder of a company called Smite. Awesome. So uh, why don't we just start with a little bit of background. Uh, where are you from? I uh, grew up north of Boston um, and amongst many, many Red Sox fans, which turned me into a fan of anybody but the Red Sox, basically. Just, mm. If you ever met any Boston fans, you'll know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how long were you in Boston? Uh, well, I was born and raised there all my life. I uh, went to college um, in upstate New York uh, and then basically went straight from my graduate program to Facebook in uh, at the end of 2010. Gotcha. Okay, 2010. So was that pre... That was pre-newsfeed. Uh, no, it was post-newsfeed. Post it was... Um, that was the era when I was in college was the era when newsfeed came out. And everybody signed that petition saying, hey, we have to get rid of Newsfeed. Newsfeed's mm. really creepy, and this thing's really bad news. Um, mm. And it still said a Mark Zuckerberg production in the footer of, of Facebook. I'm not sure if you remember those days, but... I definitely don't. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of crazy. No, I don't... I definitely remember Newsfeed launching, but it was so long ago. I was just like, man. So what was it like when you first joined? Uh, Facebook? Yeah. Well, it was... A bit of a whirlwind. So I was to to put it into context. I was interviewing um, out of my my master's program um, for my full time job right around when the Social Network came out, the movie. Mm. And so Facebook was like the hot, super cool company to work for. And this was back when Zynga's market cap was higher than EA. And so Zynga was also one of these really really hot companies. Mm. And there were there's that movie was amazing, by the way. Uh, the Social Network? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that soundtrack was out of control. Mm, I, I really yeah. loved that movie. Um, yeah. It's it's rewatchable, too. Actually. It really is. It really is. 
because you kind of get the feeling that you were part of it if you if you're yeah. just like there you're like oh yeah you know i i was like you you remember the time when you know it was coming out and, and it was big so yeah yeah it was that's it was, a perfect recruiting tool it's like oh have you seen the social network well so that came out before i started there but apparently they took the whole company to go see the social network when it came out which is yeah um kind of a ballsy move when you think about how that paints the ceo over there um, yeah yeah so definitely <laughs> he has a sense of humor then <laughs> yeah yeah confidence i don't know whatever you want to call it but mm. yeah so um i what i did was kind of a year before I, I got the job or I was interviewing, I did a couple of interviews and I, I didn't get any internship or full-time offers. I did just really badly. Um, mm. And then I studied really, really hard leading up to that, that round of interviews. And the way that it works is there's a career fair. Um, you give your resume out to a bunch of people and then they um, set up interviews on site or on, on campus. And then if you pass those, you go on site. And um, the way that it was set up was I basically had a two-week period where I left school and then kind of did like a down the West Coast kind of thing where I did, you know, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, San Jose, up to Seattle, back to to Palo Alto, and then back to school. Um, Mm. And so it was kind of of grueling, but ended up uh, taking the job at Facebook. And my mom called me when I like told her that I got the offer. She was like, I saw this movie and Mark Zuckerberg doesn't seem like a very nice boy. And, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, he ended up being, um, being great to work with, though. Um, not that I worked with him a ton, but I did work with him on one project. Um, and he was nice not, guy. not the character in that movie. <laughs> That's hilarious. But, I mean, I'm sure she was happy either way, right? Mm-hmm. It seemed like a... Even, yeah, I remember when my parents learned about it, too, and that's when you know you've made it, right? When mm-hmm. when parents know about it and um, they can actually talk about it. So, that's cool. Yeah. It was an exciting time, sounds like. Um, did you, when you first got there, um, what team did you join and, like, what was sort of, like, the, the setup for, for what you were working on? So, I... I got my um, master's uh, in computer science and I focused on distributed systems. And I was really excited about like building the next distributed database because this was back when like databases were really, really cool technology and, and there were all <laughs> these new database startups coming out. And um, I thought caching was really cool and distributed consensus and all that stuff. And so I joined Facebook and I was thinking, all right, I'm going to go work on search infrastructure, memcache, or they have this thing called Tau, which is their distributed graph database. And what happens at Facebook is they put you into this boot camp program where the first six weeks, I don't know if it's changed since then, but back then it was the first six weeks, you go work on a little bit of everything. So you're given a front-end task, a back-end task, a, an um, you know, infrastructure task, a mobile task, you know, all, all, over these, um, all over the stack. And one of the things that I had to work on was the embeddable comments widget that you see on like TechCrunch and other blogs that's, that can you can put Facebook comments in there. And the task was like, send a notification to the blog owner when somebody makes a comment or, 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 and there was some condition associated with it. So I wrote the code, got the code, code reviewed, the test pass, and it rolls out on Tuesday. And then like two or three hours after it rolls out, TechCrunch posts this thing that's just like, what the hell happened to Facebook notifications? Because this thing had a bug in it where it sent all the owners of these blogs like thousands of notifications in like a given day. 
Um, Ouch. And so this was like my first bug. This was like my third week on the job or something, right? And um, I'm like, wow, my work made it into TechCrunch. That's awesome. Congrats, man. Um, huge. Thanks, thanks. They they rolled it back. There were no like permanent problems from that or anything. And they, you know, it's. I think any tech company these days doesn't hold bugs against the engineers, um, at least the ones that people want to work for. Uh, so that was a super positive experience. Ended up um, really liking the idea of working on user-facing products, um, and so I ended up joining the Facebook video team, uh, and that was one person. So I was the second person, and that first person moved on. So I was like the Facebook videos team, the then. Facebook video man. Yeah, basically. Um, Wait, one person? So this is like way before videos is even a thing on Facebook. It, this was like, um, you know, we were talking about uh, React Native before um, before starting recording. Um, and uh, Charlie Cheever started Exponent, right? But, you know, two years before I joined Facebook, his hackathon project was, hey, you should be able to upload videos to Facebook. And Duh. Yeah, right? <laughs> and it, I think it became like the number three most popular video site in the world or something. It was this hack on a project that was like barely maintained, you know? And so I was like the one guy at the company that was maintaining this thing. And this was back before like oh. Facebook Live was a priority or any of that stuff. Um, oh, okay, okay. So he had built, so Charlie had built the first like version of videos and then you were tasked with taking that on. There were a couple of people that had um, hacked on it, but I saw his name all over the code base. Uh, there, there were a couple other kind of um, old timers that had, had built that. But yeah, it, it was kind of one of these things that was, it was like a hackathon project and it was never a strategic priority while I was there. So I was just like the one person that was keeping the lights on, making sure that everything was, was working. But it was out in production. Oh yeah, yeah. It was definitely mm. it was the third largest video site in the world, or something. And oh, they, by they the put time this you like twenty-three-year-old okay. kid who sends thousands of notifications to blog owners to like maintain this thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. But that's cool. It it right? was cool. Like, I don't know if it was a good idea, but it was cool. Did you make any like any big bugs make it into the video product? Um, it was like so. I was really into Python in college. That was um, a pretty cool, like while, while I was in college again, you know, like Ruby on Rails had just become popular and, mm. and so Python was kind of riding that wave too. And I was really excited about Python and kind of looked down on PHP programmers and um, during my mm. tenure on Facebook video, I took all the Python code that they had written and ported it to PHP because we wanted one code base in one language. So it was kind of just like... We as in, yeah, like the everybody like as part of engineering wanted it. Did you want that? Or were you just like, oh man? I mean, back then I, I didn't have the experience I have now. Um, so I was like, oh, Python's cool and PHP's for losers. Like, mm, yeah. this, uh, like I appreciated having one language, but I, I, yeah. I didn't realize that like for all intents and purposes, it didn't matter yeah. know, what language you got. And at that point, hack, HHVM, all that was already a thing, right? So that was when HPHP had just finished. So they had just rolled out the last um, web servers um, on HPHP, which basically takes regular old PHP and compiled it to C++. You know, if, you, if you're familiar with all these transpilers in the JavaScript world, it's the same thing, but server-side and transpile from, from PHP to, to C++. And he, the guy who wrote that saved the company some ridiculous amount of money. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just you're making um, single-digit percentage 
points gains and efficiency at that scale is is a big deal. Oh, for sure. Wow. Interesting. So video was like your big project. And then was there was did you go directly into photos or how did photos come into the mix? So uh, because it was a team of one, it was kind of orged or it was orged under the photos team. So we, we had the photos and videos team. I worked on video and almost exclusively video, and then my manager managed me, and then the, the four people or five people working on photos. Again, largest photo sharing site in the world and had like four or five people working on it. Um, How many people were at the company at this point? I think it was under 2,000. Um, Facebook <laughs> engineering was, I want to say, like 600 people. Um, remember, a lot of that went into um, infrastructure. This Inter- was yeah. Yeah. Facebook was started before the cloud was a thing, so they had to like run their own data centers and you know do all of that stuff. So that's a lot of that headcount. I think was was tied up in various infrastructure related stuff. Ooh, that would be a good thing to focus on cloud. Yeah, I was just thinking like, what would Facebook's engineering, what would that have looked like had the cloud already been a thing? Yeah. Uh, it's it's really interesting. So this we the, could probably just spend like hours talking about that. But yeah, if you want to make two podcasts today, <laughs> I'm into it. We might have to, but it's so interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Um, okay, so uh, one thing I don't know if this is just something that I read a blog post somewhere. If this is like common knowledge, but um, some people say that that the Facebooks and Googles of the world are like five years ahead of open source and and kind of companies that, that can't throw zillions of dollars at engineers. Mm-hmm. And so when I joined, I remember this vividly. Um, I think it was 2011 or maybe 2012. I gave this tech talk on this thing called Tupperware. And it was using this thing called Linux containers. I didn't really understand what that was because I, mm. you know, there was a, I, I wasn't super knowledgeable about the actual kind of DevOps side of things. And that's basically Facebook's version of Docker. And yeah. this was back in, in 2011. And so they had built that, and Google, I know, had their own containerized thing that they had. Um, and then Docker came out, uh, I think it was 2013 is when it started getting really popular, 2014. Mm-hmm. And so I think that one change that would happen today is, is that rather than invent your own container um, orchestration, uh, they would just use Docker and probably something like Kubernetes. Got you. Yeah. No, that seems like an obvious one. I think there was, who else? Was, was talking about that. I think it was Heroku had had also sort of been using Linux containers and, and the obvious choice would have been Docker and, mm-hmm. and orchestration there. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Like, do you think that, so out of the 600, I guess we can use that as a proxy, out of the 600 engineers, how many would you say at that point were working on infrastructure versus application code? Oh man, that's a, that's a hard question. Like ballpark. I, was, I mean, one person on video, I mean, that's that's kind of crazy. Remember, though, at the time, there was a whole um, effort for Timeline. So Timeline was like the big, one of the, the big projects that was oh, going on. I remember that Timeline, yeah. And so that, that sucked up a lot of talent on the front-end engineering side. You're, you're building this infinitely scrolling Timeline yeah. user interface that's got to work in IE6 or something. Um, that takes a lot of resources. On the infrastructure side, you need to have um, a backend that lets people skip from the current year to five, to what they did five years ago. And a lot of times you put that data more into cold storage. And how do you deliver mm. user experience that lets you load that fast enough? So, you know, 
I, I would just, I'm just making up a number here, but I would say it felt like two thirds of the company was infrastructure, one third of the company or of engineering was, um, was front end or, or product. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's huge. Right. Cause then that could have gone, that could have flipped the other way. Right. Like mm-hmm. one third to infrastructure, let's say if, if the cloud had already been a thing and, and you guys weren't building out your data center. So yeah, that could probably be a whole separate podcast, but it's so interesting. Like the, so the photos team, I guess we can, we can probably get into the react stuff now, mm-hmm. but, uh, photos, what was that like? Was, was, were there any like big challenges that you can remember when you, when you were first, like sort of getting ramped up with video and photos that you remember? Yeah, so I, I joined to work on video, and it was kind of in maintenance mode, and so um, one of the problems that, that video had was every Sunday morning, the encode queue would get backed up, and I would get paged, and I would have to like restart the, um, the encode servers. And so we fixed that by, again, like throwing out a bunch of Python code and rewriting it in PHP. Uh, and kind of the nature of the company at the time was like people would change teams really often like they would actually try to get you to change teams after a year to try to spread like knowledge around the company or something so the um the photos team uh turned out started to turn over and like i interfaced with them a lot so i ended up having to pick up the slack on some of the photos tasks and before i really knew what was happening um, I was like the longest tenured person on the photos team. Um, it happened really quickly. Mm. And so... Um, so they, they just got pulled on into other things or moved out of the company? Or? Yeah. So back then... So there was a couple things going on. There was timeline that was going on. Um, and that timeline involved a bunch of like search and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Another big thing that was going on was... Um, the shift to mobile. So I joined and then it was like a couple months after I joined, Zuck gets everybody together and is like, hey, like mobile's gonna be a big deal and like we are dropping everything and moving tons and tons of resources to, to mobile. So like a lot of people were pulled off of the web teams and put on mobile, which pissed me off because like I didn't have an appreciation. I didn't have a smartphone. Um, so I didn't have like an no. appreciation for mobile. Um, this was like 2011. Uh, you know what? I had yeah. just gotten my first smartphone. That's what it was. Um, okay. When I graduated, and um, but you were like, what? Why? Well, Why I, I, I was like, mobile? we can't maintain the large, like largest photo site in the world with a, a handful of people. This is crazy, guys. Hmm. And we're putting all these people onto iOS and Android for like apps that make up a, a minuscule amount of our traffic. This doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Turns out that was 100% the right thing to do. <laughs> That's why I, I was on CEO of Facebook. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a good bet. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a good bet. So, so there was like people being, the, the kind of people that have been around for a while were being pulled on the mobile teams, yeah. which created opportunities for the, the kind of less tenured people. Um, at Facebook to, to step up and like own products and own own pieces of the infrastructure so that by the time we acquired Instagram um, they were like hey you know we need a, a, a te- you know seniorish person on the on the photos team to go over there and build out their web stuff um, you know integrate them help them get integrated into Facebook engineering you know kind of welcome them and pl- plug them into the right stuff and so I was you know one of the people that was um, I was the first one to go full time over to, to Instagram when that happened. Gotcha. Okay. So what was that like? That you read about it in the in the internet's on the internet's, and then was that it? And you were like, "Whoa, this is cool." Or what, what were you, what were you thinking at the time? 
Well, I, you know, again, we had, um, I was on Facebook Photos. We had this big initiative to move to mobile. We had this, this app that we built and we were really proud of called Facebook Camera. And it was... Um, I don't even remember that. It, yeah, that, that's, that comes into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked really hard on it. I, I, I wasn't working directly on it. I was like supporting it from the, from the server side. But um, mm. we had a bunch of really talented engineers working on it, a bunch of talented designers. Um, and Instagram just came in and like ate its lunch. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I do remember that app. Yeah. It was all photos. And mm-hmm. then you were supposed to like like stuff. But the whole screen was like the photo or something. Yeah. And we went back and forth on that design decision for a long time. Um, and so, Yeah, I do remember that. So there was, yeah, so we, we okay. launched that app. Um, my read of the situation, again, you know, I, I don't like remember everything 100% accurately or yeah. anything, but we spent a really long time trying to figure out the exact gestures that we were going to do and all sorts of really, really nuanced UI things. Mm. And the Facebook ethos at the time was like unashamedly move fast and break things. And I was like, guys, this is not move fast and break things. This is like polish, polish, polish and miss the market. Mm. Um, and that may or may not explain what happened. It kind of felt like it was ready to launch for, for a long time and just was, people couldn't agree that the design was right. Okay. So anyway, we spent, But it did launch. It did launch. Uh, Instagram made its launch. Um, we, were, we considered them like these fierce competitors. And like mm. you can see my first photo on, Insta- on my current Instagram account is when I worked at Facebook, I took a photo of my desk trying to like figure out like why do people like this app? And I'm like, trying to figure out, you know, all that, that kind of stuff. Right. And um, you still weren't convinced that mobile was the yeah, future. Yeah, I was still trying to figure it out. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, then one day uh, we get this, or one evening we get this like email. It's like, hey guys, um, come in early to work tomorrow. We got a big announcement. And then we come in early and he's like, yeah, you know, in an hour they're going to report that we acquired Instagram and they're coming in uh, this afternoon and, and go shake their hands. And I was like, whoa. All like, six of them. Yeah. Like, these are our sworn enemies, you know? Mm. And now we got to be friends with them. Great. Right. Um, but so, it, yeah, it was like six people though, right? Uh, it was it was 14, I think. Um, oh, oops. It was, no, it was actually... But, but depending on whether you count when they announced the acquisition or when it actually closed because they hired people in between those two. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So 14 people walked into the office. Yeah, I think it was like 14 people. There's a, a photo somewhere that I could go and count yeah, people. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. So then at some level, you must have been like, oh, well, this is good. Now we have like uh, a way to do photos and we don't need to like spend weeks figuring out gestures and stuff. I don't know. I, I liked... Um, you liked Facebook camera. Well, I wouldn't say I like Facebook camera. I... I wanted, I, I bled the blue, you know, and yeah, I, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted our company to win and it didn't feel like, like yeah. we won. Turns out, mm. it did. Um, oh yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a huge W right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a little weird when they showed up, um, for me anyway, and uh, then they, they kind of worked, what, what was cool is I, I think that like some of the really successful tech acquisitions that have happened, think like YouTube and Instagram, those are the, the two that kind of stick out for me. Um, you kind of like leave them alone. You buy them, you say, hey, we've got all these resources, take advantage of the resources that you want, but we're not going to go tell you like how to run your product. And so with Instagram, um, they, they gave them a garage in the 
Facebook campus where they could just do their own thing. Um, they took advantage of the Facebook kind of trust and safety systems. Um, but other than that, you know, they continued to use AWS. They continued to drive their own um, product strategy from what I could tell. Hmm. And um, yeah, it was, um, it was really interesting how kind of hands-off uh, it, it appeared at least, you know, I wasn't in the conversations with, with Mark or the executive team or anything, but it, as just kind of an engineer, it, it seemed like they just could do what they wanted. Mm, okay. So then how did, uh, how did the transition happen? Like when, when you got pulled on to Instagram? Yeah, so they needed a web presence. They had no website at the time. They had photo pages. Mm. And um, the web was a bit of a strategic thing for them. So they were mobile first. Instagram has always been mobile first. Um, but Instagram actually, like a lot of the content is public. And a lot of the, the um, I think like like uh, SEO was an important thing for them. So like, hey, we got to really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you search for um, like Justin Bieber. You want oh, the okay. Instagram link to be up at the top, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that was the strategic reason why. Um, yeah, I could see <laughs> the head of Instagram saying, look, desktop's going to be a big thing. Let's go after it. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's what was weird. It flipped, right? Yeah, exactly. Everything went mobile first, and then we would think about like, okay, what's the desktop angle or the mobile web angle? Mm. Um, and SEO was kind of the justification, I think, for what we were doing. And um, so my You were the guy. You were the, the desktop photos guy. That's right. Um, and so my manager was like, hey, you've been around the team for a while. Um, you're interested in making a change. We're spinning up this new team on the Instagram side uh, to, to build out all the Instagram web stuff. And he was like, you should go. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> um, nice. All right. And so that was being... So I was the first um, full-time engineer to go over um, to Instagram. From so, the Facebook side. From the Facebook side. Ah, that's right. Okay. Uh, so it was kind of like um, the corporate. I was like the corporate drone being yeah, dropped into the front lines. <laughs> like the corporate drone from like Facebook, right? <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, but no, they didn't make. It's not like they made me feel that way or anything. Uh, right, it's, right. It's just you know, first day on a new team kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, they were all like super nice and cool. They they did things very differently than Facebook. So like um, code review was largely optional. Um, mm. They did continuous deployment, which I thought was totally crazy. Um, <laughs> Facebook would deploy on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. And like that's if you think it changes in, they weren't going out that week. Um, and so. I, OK, so, yeah, it was it was a startup. Essentially, they were still just operating as, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like a startup. But they were using AWS and all the cloud computing stuff that you're used to. They were using Django rather than the kind of mm-hmm. Facebook home built it, at that point, it was like a home-built framework in a home-built language um, at, you know, at Facebook scale. Yeah. On an Instagram, it's all like off-the-shelf, Django, running on AWS, talking to Postgres, you know, pretty different software stack. Yeah. And, and it's funny because that's a, the perfect representation of like what has happened in the past few years, right? And mm-hmm. the reason that Stackshare even exists is like these days, you're not building all that stuff yourself, right? Oh, you're yeah. Not, rolling your own framework so that's that's like the perfect example so it's interesting yeah yeah i mean like our you know our company we started two and a half years ago um we process a lot of data you know like hundreds of millions of monthly actives type of data and it's mm. event data too so the volume's really high mm. we have four people working full-time on infrastructure it's, it's crazy um, yeah 
it's yeah. like the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um it's it's pretty cool. Uh, all the technology that's come out recently that lets you just manage all of that. Yeah. Um, but anyway. But that whole world was new to you, right? Like the idea of these building blocks and and not using homegrown stuff. Yeah, it was so AWS had been around for a while. Like I had taken, I'd actually taken a course in college in AWS because AWS came out like my freshman year of college, hmm. and so there was one like my senior year. I think they did a course in. It was a course on AWS. It was a course on distributed systems. Ah, okay, uh, okay. Or maybe they called it. I think they may have called it cloud computing. Actually. Okay, that makes sense. I was yeah. about to say that sounds like a huge ad for AWS, which is great. Well, but... they gave every student three hundred bucks to go play around, and what nice. everyone yeah. promptly did was play around and then leave their data sitting in S three, and then they got a bill like a couple months mm. later after they burned through their credits. But... You've just graduated. <laughs> yeah. Pay this bill. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Uh, that's awesome though. So you get into the Instagram world. Everyone's deploying code, mm-hmm. slinging code to production. No code reviews. Interesting. They had some code review, but it was it was optional. You know, if there were a couple of people. Um, I remember there being like three engineers that kind of knew how everything worked, mm-hmm. and they could just roll out anything they wanted, and it was totally fine. Um, the newer guys like me, um, we would want our code to be reviewed. We didn't want to take down, down the yeah. site. But, but like one thing that they did have, um, it was basically like everything was really, really well tested. So if the tests were green, you were okay to roll out. And the yeah, tests yeah. were really, really thorough. Yeah. So, oh man, so interesting. I definitely want to hear about this stack, but yeah. um, let's, try to, <laughs> let's try to keep it focused. Um, so when you got there, there was no front-end framework being used? So... When let's let's rewind for a second. Um, we had to build this what we thought were going to be a pretty comprehensive set of web apps. Like we were going to start with profile pages and photo pages, and then we were going to build hashtag pages, maps, like geographic search and stuff like that, um, all for the Instagram web. And what existed is the single photo, so, the single photo pages. Yeah, yeah. There was a photo page, and then there was Instagram.com, which was like. A billboard for the app. That, okay. That's all that they had. Gotcha. Yeah, I so, remember that actually, that you could only see a photo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you couldn't like see all the photos somebody's uploaded or anything. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to fix that. Uh, and, but we had this problem where um, if you're, this kind of goes back into the stack, right? But we had these these application servers that were Django's and we had these database servers which were Postgres and Postgres can only support a certain number of connections. Yeah. And so the constraint was and, and we were at that max limit. And so the constraint was, we can't add any more load to the servers. Um, and like creating a bunch and serving up a bunch of dynamic web pages actually does kind of add a bunch of load to the servers, yeah. especially when it's it's gonna be, you know, uh, exposed in the public web, right? Yeah. Um, so we decided we had to do client rendering. Um, well, so, what about caching? Uh, so we, you know, they, they were really good about caching um, and I don't actually know if, if, like looking back on this, the way I would have done it now is be like, hey, we're going to server render it and we're just going to cache it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't actually remember if there were other reasons why we decided that we had to client render it, but I remember I was I was basically told like, hey, I think we need to client render this. And there was a, a prototype that was going on that was client rendered. And so um, okay. we decided to go, oh yeah, because um, eventually we were thinking those pages would be personalized. So, you know, 
if okay, you're logged so into and I'm logged into me, we look at the same profile page. Um, it looks different to both of us, which is like like Facebook, for yeah, example. Facebook. You can't cache any any full page because yeah. everybody's page is hyper personalized. Okay, uh, so you were doing it with that in mind. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. Okay, gotcha. So you needed to client render, and none of that was had been rolled out or anything at that point. Yeah, we had no client rendering. There was a small prototype with jQuery mustache mm. um, templates, which was kind of the um, you know the designer um, had had hacked something out with some engineer over there, and they were like, hey, you know, this is our prototype. Um, hey, Facebook engineer, go like um, productionize this and get it rolled out. Facebook drone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Execute. <laughs> right. Um, no, they're super cool. No, no, yeah. I, I, I love those guys. But so we had a client render. I actually didn't know JavaScript at the time. You did not. I did not. Wow. Okay. Because um, because Facebook largely doesn't. Um, they don't want engineers to write JavaScript because it adds to the the download. Um, so mm. it increases. It's like more CPU utilization. It's another language to learn. It's more code to download. It's more um, there's more work so like there's a little bit of JavaScript that's reused all over the place on, on Facebook so I, I kind of knew JavaScript but not really okay uh, so I, I went to the front end engineering team at Facebook called UIE UIE yeah user interface engineering okay and I was like hey we need a JavaScript framework what should we use and they're like well we've got these um, three or four experimental things that we have baking right now we have Bolt.js we have JSHTML and then we have this this React thing and there are pilot projects for all of them. There might have been something else too, but because um, mm. remember, I think Facebook had acquired the WebOS guys, mm -hmm. and they were really good, and they had built something. We had a, a mobile web framework called um, Javelin. Uh, so there was a bunch of different options. Yeah, we took a look at. I took a look at all of them, uh, and I kind of talked to the people working on them, and decided to try out React. Um, and uh, Jordan Watt, what? sorry. So what what drove you to do that? What about the other options? What did you just like the name or? Oh, so everyone's got their like hello world. Uh -huh. um, and if you've worked on other ways of rendering client side apps before, and then you see React, it's yeah. like almost too good to be true. You're like, how does that work? Like, there's there's no way that that works. And if it works, it must be really slow. And it took me like Jordan worked with me a lot, and he had written a lot of like really interesting kind of. Um, hello world or not hello world but like quick starts for various types of things and we had prototyped the profile page in react and it was um, a pretty positive experience the end result was really positive so like it was fast it worked really well um, didn't have too many bugs um, because you know it's getting rid of all the mutable state is, is, is a good thing um, and so we launched it and it was it was really which, successful which profile page uh, the Instagram profile page Okay, so a user's profile page. Yeah. You, you basically... Okay, whoa, that's quick. So you saw React, you were like, this looks really cool, and then you just started to build out the profile page with that. Yeah, um, but there's there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in between, like, let's try React and let's... Um, Let's put something into production. Okay. All right. Cool. Let's let's talk about that because that sounds pretty quick. It's like, oh, this seems cool. Boom. It's live for everyone. Yeah. So I, I think if there's one like, um, it, like reflecting on this, if there's one big theme, it's like Instagram was kind of like the future in terms of tech stacks, mm -hmm. um, at least relative to Facebook. And I was yeah. like 
bridging the Facebook world and the Instagram world. And so like I kind of saw like, okay, um, Facebook is five years in the future uh, in one direction and Instagram is in the present, but kind of in a a slightly different direction. So some things that Facebook did um, really, really well and better than than anybody else. There are other things that like they would have just used a cloud service for. Yeah, yeah. And so like a a good example was um, all of the Facebook JavaScript, React included, um, was packaged using their homegrown bundler, which was really, really advanced. It like um, used some machine learning or statistical thing that looks at the logs of people downloading individual modules and the, the dependency graph and we'll do an optimization on you know what modules are you going to bundle together and what are you going to have to download up front versus lazily and all sorts of stuff. Hmm. Written by this PhD, super, super crazy. Um, it's awesome. It's better than Webpack. It's better than than anything that's out in open source still. But it's oh. it's very, very much tied to Facebook's infrastructure. And the module system, we had these comments in the in the JavaScript that was like at, um, at sign require and then the module name and it would show up as a magical global. Mm-hmm. And so we had to take that and somehow like bring that React dependency into, um, into Instagram. And so the, the first thing that I did was I kind of like, um, wrote a Python script that would translate that weird syntax with like a bunch of just gnarly regular expressions to require JS. I don't know if you guys remember yeah, require.js. Yeah, 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 yeah. AMD modules. So we did that. And that was enough, I think, to get us to production. And so I ran the script once, committed the generated code to um, to Git, and then we used require set up a little require.js integration with Django and then we we shipped it. And as we started to pull over, like build more products and like we, we wanted to use analytics. And so we wanted to use Facebook's analytics stack. So we had to pull over more of those modules. And then that script got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually, um, I moved uh, to management and I got a, a team of three or four engineers um, that were helping you know to build out all of this stuff. And we wanted to build this whole suite of business products. And by this point, like, you know, we were, um, you know, pretty happy with React and we knew that um, we were going to go all in on it. And and we, you're talking about Instagram. I'm talking about Instagram, yeah. Interesting, yeah. So that, yeah. So I guess like in terms of where React was, it was still, you basically got it ready. You brought it into the Instagram environment, right? Mm-hmm. Or code base. And then you shipped it. And that was it. We shipped the product. You shipped the profiles product. We, we shipped the profiles product. Then we shipped, that went over pretty well. Then we shipped a, um, a newsfeed product so you could log in, see a feed, paginate. It had this one really cool subtle feature that I'm still really proud of where if you um, went somewhere and then clicked the back button, it would cache where you were in the feed yeah. in the history API. And it would also cache the data that you had downloaded. Yeah. So it, it could it would bring you right back to where it was, which is like yeah. super annoying if you ever use a product that doesn't do that. Yeah. <coughs> Facebook mobile. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's super annoying. But that's awesome. Um, interesting. So for the for that initial launch, it sounds like that went really well. You guys were happy with React. Um, was that like an aha moment for you or were you just like, oh, this is cool. Like, let's continue to use it. Or did you have like some inkling like, oh man, this is going to be pretty big if we can like continue to build out with React? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple things going on. Um, 
the first was I thought the development experience was awesome. Like it was it was pretty different from what how it looks today. Um, like Lee Byron came in um, a couple months after we had shipped the first the profile pages, and he was like, "This API is unintelligible." Like for the for the um, lifecycle hooks, let's because because we had um, different hooks or like totally different names for every lifecycle hook. Like we had something called like prop trigger and another thing called like. Um, on state changed and another, you know they were kind of ad hoc names yep. and so he's the guy who came up with component did mount component will mount um, the, the oh. will and did that he kind of cribbed it from from how iOS does things and um, so I mean it's totally a team effort yeah and, and I cleaned up a lot of the API too and fixed some performance stuff and gotcha. um, did all the kind of packaging for for Instagram that we just went and reused a lot of that for um, open source. And now we'll take a quick break to tell you more about our sponsor, STRV. STRV is a leading innovation studio helping startups and enterprises design and build digital products. As CEO of Stackshare, I've had a lot of dev shops reach out, but these guys are different. They ship top quality apps from some of the best companies in the world, and they do it quickly. They can work with you to design and build your product from scratch like they did with sneaker marketplace Flip helping them get featured on the Apple App Store and the show Planet of the Apps, where Will I Am said, and I quote, the user interface is freaking awesome. Or they can work as an extended part of your existing team like they did with Tinder, where they helped them build their award-winning web and Apple TV apps. You can check out their standard stacks for different verticals like dating apps, on-demand, and IoT on their Stackshare profile at stackshare.io strv. If you're looking for an innovation partner for your web or mobile products, reach out to them today at strv.com slash stackshare. Um, so, so in terms of the evolution, right, it sounds like that was like the proof of concept. Okay, this works. By the way, how many users were there on Instagram at that point? Oh, I forget. But I mean, tens of millions at least. Um, okay. So you knew it worked well mm-hmm. at scale in a sense. Yep. And then from there, did you just start building everything else out immediately in React? And So if, if you look at it from the React point of view, um, there were a couple things going on. So yeah, we were like, this works great. Um, and then I get another um, PSD from our designer for a newsfeed. They're like, go build that. And so we're like, all right, got to go, go back to work and build that. You know, it didn't really reflect too much on, yeah, yeah. on the framework. I thought the framework was super, super kick-ass. Um, I thought that it was really, really innovative. It was doing things in a way that had never been done before. And um, I wanted to be a part of it. So I started kind of contributing back to the code, the, the Facebook side code base, um, just kind of in my spare time. Okay. And, um, you know, and as we would roll out new products, I would fix bugs and I would, you know, clean up the API, write docs, whatever. On Instagram. On Instagram. Yeah. But those would, would make it back in the React core. Um, and so it was open source from day one. No, no, no. This was this, all okay, okay. so you can think of like Facebook internally open sourcing React to Instagram. Oh, okay, okay. So there was gotcha. a source of truth modules in the Facebook code base, and then yeah. we would periodically um, we would just pick a Git commit, and then we would export it into um, into Instagram when we wanted to um, to take advantage of a new feature or something. Gotcha. And it was always actually like really painful to like do that because I had again this hacky script that would translate it to require JS. And like maybe it broke or something, you gotta fix that, and then you got, you know, we didn't have so, a lot of stability back then. So it's not like you're forking it, right? You didn't fork React, the core. 
No, no. It was when we made changes. It was always to the Facebook source of truth, and then we would like export that. Okay. All right. So you were committing directly to the core. That's right. Repo. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. So, so you were making these changes. Okay. So then, like, basically, it happened incrementally. Now you have to build the news feed. So obviously, you're going to use React. Yep. Okay. And then what came after news feed? And then Facebook ads had to do client rendering too. They were rebuilding some critical ads product and they were looking, they were doing the same thing that I did a couple months prior, which was Bolt.js, um, whatever the other options were and react. And so I, by the way, was, was angular ever a thought? Oh no, not even close. (laughs) Okay. Um, So when you guys were like thinking about this, it was always, let's look at what's already being used in the Facebook ecosystem. so, or has been created inside of Facebook. It's less about. I mean, there's a little bit of NIH there, but like there, there's kind of good yeah. reason for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like, um, templates were never on the table. Um, so mm-hmm. a long time ago, uh, you know, on the PHP side of the house, um, they had this thing called XHP, which is open source, but nobody uses it. Um, where you rather than having a, you know, what passes for a template in PHP world you build um, what's called XHP elements, which are components. Um, they use a similar syntax to JSX. They have similar kind of life cycles for loading data on server side. They just spit out um, a string of HTML rather than, um, than DOM nodes. Hmm. And so we were like, this is definitely the right way to build applications. It wasn't even up for debate. All this, the Bull.js and all these other things, you built the apps in similar ways and components. Um, what made React unique was um, how the components re-rendered um, the other ones, there would be an initial render, and then you would have to manually like up- update the DOM. Gotcha. Uh, right. So that was the that was the killer feature. That's what I thought was that's what like blew my mind. Um, yeah. I wasn't I like didn't understand how that was possible. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Because because now we now we have a really crisp explanation of it. It's like oh think of it as a virtual DOM and you do a diff and the diff is fast. Um, but like that was a really big pill to swallow back then. Mm-hmm. I mean remember we were pushing. Um, products on uh, IE 7 and 8 back then. And so having that be like fast enough, I was like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Wow. That's so interesting. Like, it's, it's, so it sounds like it was super organic, right? And, mm-hmm. and sorry, you were saying the ads team was looking around Bold.js and then yeah. they found React. Yeah, yeah. And, and the ads team is like uh, some of the strongest front-end engineers out there Um, and they came to me they were like hey how was your experience building with React and I told them and I said hey I'm a huge fan I I don't want to use any other framework other than this thing really yeah okay and um, so what they did is they did some benchmarks Um, the UIE team internally had also done some benchmarks too and basically we all kind of came to the same conclusion that was like hey we all clearly obviously love the programming model and it turns out like it's most likely going to be fast enough for the, the types of problems that we want to solve. It's going to be fast enough, not necessarily it's going to be faster. Yeah, fast enough. Um, one of the like um, big observations that I didn't really appreciate until building something with React was um, usually it's only a tiny percentage of your app that that kind of re-renders so the diffs normally aren't actually that big yeah and in the cases that the diffs are really big um, the alternative approach is to use data binding and the 
the um, building up and tearing down of all those change listeners is really, really expensive. And so React in a lot of ways optimizes just for the initial render, um, sometimes at the expense of the incremental updates because the incremental updates aren't, um, are, are pretty rare and pretty small. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. So from the ad side of things, what was the, I guess we don't need to go too deep into this, but what was the, like, what, why did they want to take on React? Like, were they experiencing issues, like, just using, what, what was it, just plain, like, JavaScript, HTML? Like, what were they using prior to that? Have you ever created an ad on Facebook? An ad? Yeah. Yes, once. It's pretty hardcore. It's like... It is insanely, like, <laughs> it's, it's complicated, but it's, like, super robust. Yeah, so there's there's so much going on. Um, there's a lot, yeah. You're pulling in all these different demographic groups. They're yep. spending money, so you have to understand what locale a person's in. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah, like if you're creating an ad in Israel, like it's got to work left to right or right yep. to left. Um, mm. You want the preview of the ad unit to exactly match the actual ad unit, so you need a way to render it with the same code, but make it editable. And there's a couple edge cases when you're creating the ad versus rendering the ad. Um, it's got to be fast, you know, if the button doesn't save your change, like you're going to spend money on something that isn't what you, you wanted to buy. So it's like a very stressful thing to work on. And the guy that actually um, originally came up with the idea for React, Jordan Walk, came from the ads team because he was like, making a change on this product is terrifying. Like mm. potentially Millions lose of a day of revenue yeah, because yeah. you miss a semicolon or something. Got you. Oh, okay. So... So he had already he had actually built it specifically for ads, and he they had were felt using... the ads pain. Okay, and then he convinced I don't know how he did this, but he can just convince them after building this thing on nights and weekends to work on it full time for a little while. Mm -hmm. And so he was working on this framework full time. He built a type ahead component um, and had had rolled that out, I think, and maybe like a little newsfeed unit. But never like a full application. Instagram was like the first full application. Yeah, I was about to say. So was React already being used at some level by ads, or did they never? It wasn't used by ads. It was used a little tiny bit on newsfeed. It was like one percent of of newsfeed users were getting this experiment. That was the client rendered um, type ahead. Client rendered, client rendered uh, comment box. Client rendered comment box. Okay, so that was after Instagram or before? That was hap that happened just before Instagram. So that okay. that. So we knew like, um, it will work on like IE seven, or or okay. whatever it was it supported back then. Okay. So we knew that it would work. We just didn't know that it would work at the scale of a full page with like a router and data fetching and all that stuff. Gotcha. Okay. So we're gonna need like a timeline graphic. So basically, yeah. React the inception was because of ads by Jordan, yep. right? And so he built it, side project. They started to experiment with it in the news feed to client render comments yep. for 1% of whatever the users were, right? Yep. And then you basically saw that and was like, looks good, let's start using it for Instagram yep. profiles and then everything else just started happening. Yep, and then ads, ads says, worked on that news feed thing, worked on that Instagram thing, we'll try it on ads. Mobile search said, hey, worked on that newsfeed thing, worked on that um, Instagram thing, and I hear that ads is going to try it. And then they, they kicked off. Yeah. They kicked off something uh, concurrently as well. Mm. Um, and so it, it really did kind of grow organically. Yeah. And um, it's like everybody that used it got really passionate about it and excited about it. Yeah. And um, you know, just started spreading it.
Like wildfire. Yeah, and it got to the point where like the the what's called the product infrastructure team at Facebook, which owns a lot of the developer abstractions and stuff like that, was like, guys, like you're writing too much JavaScript. We know the React mm. is really fun, <laughs> but you can use PHP once in a while to render this thing. <laughs> um, That's hilarious. So they probably saw like a graph of JavaScript entering the code base. Yeah, you know, like this is going up way too fast. Mm. Do we really need all this JavaScript. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay, so it was it was largely organic, and then, um, but that's a big bet, right, to make on ads because ads is like the lifeblood yeah. of the entire company. So I'm I'm guessing they started with like one percent of one percent of ads, and then just like yeah, looked at benchmarks, and then eventually more and more ads. Yeah, yeah. Once that had happened, it was it was basically like the de facto way to. To build apps in JavaScript at Facebook. Gotcha. Um, like if you can prove it on ads, and you can prove it, mm. it, it's like if you can prove it on ads, then you've proven it across um, all the heavyweight UIs. And then there's a second question, which is like, is this thing going to work on mobile? Mm. And we had benchmarks to prove that as far as JavaScript goes, React is going to be fine on mobile. Um, the the greater question for Facebook was, how much client rendering do we want to do? Yeah. Okay. So on the Instagram side, because it sounds like um, Instagram is still the biggest user of React. Is that fair to say? Um, or once ads took over, that was it. I'd say the ads code base was probably bigger. Yeah. Um, so they, they became like the biggest user of React before Instagram became all React, everything. So, so Instagram was first. Insta Instagram was all React. Um, but the surface area of the Instagram product is smaller than ads. Like, yeah. um, okay. we don't, we don't deal with any like of the, um, or too much internationalization stuff or localization stuff. Like, yeah, we got to translate the strings, but we don't need to know about like different currencies. We don't have to preview like components within components and stuff like that. Gotcha. So we had to deal with like, um, performance. Our, our biggest, um, kind of challenges were... Uh, what does a React router look like? So we built the first three React routers um, mm -hmm. ever. Uh, what does data fetching look like? Um, you know, originally we we were a um, React app that was plugged into Backbone, and Backbone was doing all the data management on the on the Instagram. Yeah, that was actually wow. the first profile page. The first profile pages were powered by Backbone. Wait, how did Backbone get there? Um, so that prototype was Mustache jQuery and I forgot to say Backbone. Ah, that's and so we're like, man, we gotta like ship this thing. So I hacked out a script to like pull React <laughs> in. We replaced the templates with the React components. Um, we shipped it. We were like, wow, that was pretty good. Um, and then Jordan was like, you know, you don't really need Backbone. Um, it'll get a lot faster <laughs> and better if you don't use Backbone. And so then we built a feed without Backbone, and then we started to remove Backbone from the from the code base. Gotcha. So then when did you run into basically state management and a need to actually build something for that? Like, or was that never, like when did Redux and, and some of that stuff come into play? Oh yeah, so state management, um, you gotta think about it, uh, you know, the, the second your app does anything interesting, that anything changes in the UI. Um, yeah. So uh, what, so I was kind of like, whenever I would, would face one of these problems, I would go to Jordan and I'd be like, hey, how should I solve this? And then he would give me an answer and then I would actually put it, like, turn that into code and try to push that out to production. And I'd be like, hey, that doesn't actually work. Like, 
we got to make this change, this change, this change the code base. So it was great because like he was kind of coming at it from the like theoretical, like this is how things should be, mm-hmm. like drawing the state uh, machine diagrams and stuff like that. And I was like hacking the shit out and um, yeah, trying to, Instagram to push style. a product. Yeah, <laughs> um, at that point I didn't need code review anymore in the JavaScript stuff. I was I was the yeah. I was the guy that yeah could do that. So. Got you. Um, right. So you had to deal with that early on. Yeah, and what ends up happening is you get like one com- like controller component that has the state for like ninety percent of the the page, and then you tediously kind of pass these. Um, these props down all the way down to the bottom of your your app, and we actually got pretty far with that. I think most people bail out too early on that approach because that approach has a lot of benefits, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a lot more typing, um, but you also know exactly what data your component's using, and you know when it's going to change, and it's really easy to debug. Um, but on the flip side, it's a lot of typing, and then sometimes your interface for your component doesn't make a lot of sense. And like, if you want to render the badge of the current user somewhere, you've got to go look at your component hierarchy and pass the user all the way down, um, which isn't fun. Yeah. Uh, so we, um, for Instagram, we just powered through it. We, we didn't use any sort of state management thing. Okay, gotcha. Ads used Flux, the original Flux from the beginning. OG Flux, okay. Yeah, OG Flux. <laughs> Actually, OG means something different at Facebook. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the the um, meta tags, right? For yeah. The open graph tags. Yeah, yeah. yeah. O- open graph, right? But that's funny. So you guys didn't use any of that, but ads needed it. And they were just like, the way to go is to have something to something separate. And yeah. they, did they create Flux? Oh, sorry. Flux predates um, React. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, so yeah, Flux up on my JavaScript history here. <laughs> okay. So Flux came from the Facebook um, chat team. So the chat bar on Facebook, and you type a message, gotcha. and you got to sync. There's like a little the, the example I always use is there's a little unread message count in the top bar, and there's an unread message count in the bottom bar, and you got to keep those in sync. And it gets a little more hardcore because if you have multiple browser windows open, you want to keep those in sync, mm. and. Uh, Okay, gotcha. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so, so they so built, that that was already there. Yeah, so Flux was already there, and basically the approach a lot of teams took was, hey, we're already using Flux. We're just going to swap out um, our manual DOM manipulation with React. Yeah, and um, that ended up working like pretty okay. Right, and then that became the standard React and Flux. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's like um, people kept asking the question in open source, like, how do I deal with this problem? We said, hey, we have this thing called Flux. It's what we use. It wasn't really designed for React, but yeah, um, works well enough. And so that's that's why you don't often see people using the vanilla Facebook Flux implementation because it wasn't really designed yeah. for React. Right, and is that one of the reasons that someone who was it Dan that created Redux? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah, he wanted um, he took. The main motivation was um, you wanted to do hot module reloading with Flux. And so you've got this hot module reloading basically says, hey, you make a change, you save it. Um, and then we're able to pause the state of the application, load in the new code and resume and, um, and then re-render the page. So it's almost as if as you're typing and saving, your changes are showing up in real time. And the problem is... Um, your state is stored in some variable somewhere and you have to like get a reference to it and like retain that, um, swap out the old code, swap out the new code 
and then put that reference back into the code. Mm. And so Redux was like, hey, how do I just make Flux um, work with this, this hot module reloading thing? And then I think what happened is he just got a little carried away and ended up throwing out a lot of the bad ideas and bringing in a lot of good ideas and ended up with, with Redux. Gotcha. And then, but Instagram wasn't using either of those. No. Okay. No. Gotcha. Good stuff. Yeah. So when did, um, when did the open source piece come into play and how did that decision even come about? Um, yeah. So I, I remember this because, um, cause they, you had to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I was super excited about reacts. There were, uh, you know, other, other people at Facebook that were super excited. Like, um, some of the names that you know now, like like Chris Shadow, um, Tim Young, um, Jordan, obviously, uh, Sebastian. Um, and then there were like some people internally that you don't really remember. Um, like Michael Lomans was the designer on Instagram and he like designed the original website and the logo that's still used today. Um, mm. And there's, there's some other Instagram people that were involved a little behind the scenes. Uh, so... Um, we were all really excited about it. Um, I actually was was talking to a startup about a, a CTO um, gig, mm. in, like leaving Facebook and being their CTO, and they, you know, had millions of dollars in revenue, and it was kind of enticing. And I actually told them, I'm just like, hey, like, I want to open source React, like, hold off for like six months. I just want to do this thing. So, like, I was, oh. I'm saying that not to, to say how awesome I am. I'm saying that to say how like excited I was. Um, of course, no, that's huge. Like, wait, let me open source this thing first. Yeah, yeah, like that would have been a huge step up for me career-wise. And yeah. I was, I was like, no, I'm strapping myself to this React rocket ship. Like, yeah, it, React is the future. I, yeah, we felt really, really passionate about it, especially because remember, this thing had been baked off by some of the best engineers I know yeah. um, against a bunch of competing solutions, and like yep. we knew for a fact, like templates were the wrong way to do things. We knew for a fact that this virtual DOM diffing thing, which is kind of what we called it. Um, did work in the majority of cases that we tried it. Yeah. And for the ones that it didn't, there were escape hatches that let you build 90% of your app with React and then 10% without. Um, yeah, yeah. So so did you know, like, that? It, how did the idea to open source it even happen? Were you just like, or, or come about? Were you just like, yeah, we, we need to release this and let everybody start using it? Or was it kind of just the standard, like once you have something that works really well across products, you start to think about open sourcing it, so. We all kind of wanted to do it. Um, I think there was there was some stuff going on back then that I wasn't plugged into. So hmm. um, I think that James Pierce was hired around then, and I know that Tomo uh, Tomo Kino had um, was the kind of main business driver behind a lot of this. And Adam Wolf, um, I think Tom reported to Adam, and Adam was a big advocate for this. So if you go back to um, to that time, which was January two thousand thirteen or something like that. Hmm. Uh, um, people hated Facebook. I mean, the way that people talk about Uber today is like how people talked about Facebook, just like publicly. You know, mm. social network was still wearing off the movie. Uh, and in the developer community, Facebook would like, oh yeah, Facebook like IPO tanked, if you remember that. Um, I was around for that too. Um, mm, mm. And uh, that day in the office, <laughs> it, was, it was fine, whatever. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, the oh yeah, and so Facebook's open source portfolio was like a bunch of projects they had thrown over the wall and abandoned. Like famously, there was this iOS library called 320, 
that like every iOS developer hated Facebook because they like depended on this thing and then Facebook just stopped supporting it. Um, mm. And it pissed a lot of people off. And so open source wasn't something Facebook was very good at. Yeah. But I think that with when they hired James Pierce, I think that happened around this time, they were actively looking to reboot that. And there also happened to be independent of that, like a groundswell of support for open sourcing this React thing. So the timing was pretty good. Gotcha. And okay. so um, we were like, hey, we got to get this thing out. Um, There's a bunch of lawyering involved that, um, of course. yeah, I'm not going to get into. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Got it, We got it done. And um, we just. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And then we decided to announce it at, at JSConf um, 2013. I'm not sure if you guys remember that. No. Um, but Facebook sponsors the JSConfs, and in exchange, they get like a keynote spot or something, or there, there's some sort of arrangement like that that, that yeah. happened. Um, and so already the sponsor keynote spots, people are like a little like meh about. Like the audience is kind of like, oh, the sponsor gets to speak to us. Like, great. Yeah. Um, Facebook. Yeah, also Facebook, this, like, you know, the evil megacorp that ruined open source and blah, blah, blah. They're speaking at JSCon. And then, so Facebook <laughs> goes up, uh, Tom O goes up, he's a really charismatic guy. Um, and he goes up with Jordan, who's, you know, smartest engineer I've ever met. And they're like, hey, we have a new way of building web applications. Everything that you're doing is wrong, and here's how, how we do it. Or at least that's how it was interpreted. And it's like, step one, <laughs> Throw out all your put, <laughs> put XML in your JavaScript, inside your JavaScript. It'll be totally fine. People were like, XML, like, whoa, I hate XML. And then they were like, I'm, I thought I was supposed to separate my markup from my JavaScript, from my styling, and you're telling me to put all that stuff into one file. Mm. Like, this is too much. And so um, when he says, when he was doing the keynote and was announcing it, and it's called React, we like pressed OK on the deploy button and we deployed the, the GitHub repo, or we opened up the GitHub repo. And we were really excited back at Facebook because we had been writing documentation, getting it ready, and it was early morning for us because we were on the West Coast, and um, the tweets started to roll in that were all like, um, like, Facebook is terrible, this is the worst idea I've ever seen, like... They just told me to throw out all my front-end code. Yeah, well, it wasn't even that. It's like, they don't... It's, it wasn't even like, man, I have to throw out my code. It's like, these guys are dumb. Facebook is stupid. Like, <laughs> like they've been in their own little world for too long, and they don't know what they're doing, and blah, blah, blah. And it was okay, like, so kind of a bummer. Safe to say, <laughs> people were not excited. Uh, no, they were Outside excited to hate it. Mm. Um, and I believe that was the last conference that Jordan spoke at. <laughs> that's like that's a ballsy move, though. Like, if you're gonna launch a brand new framework mm -hmm. and you do it at a conference where there's not a whole lot of anticipation that you know you're gonna you're gonna announce something big. So that's huge. I mean. Hats off to to you guys and the team, right? Like, that takes, you know, it takes a lot of courage, and um, you know, you know, you never know how people are gonna react. I right? think it was, I think it was ignorance. Oh, Pun intended. I see what you did there. Yeah. I, I would chalk it up to ignorance. You know, mm. we, we were just like, oh yeah, like um, people obviously understand that templates suck, right? Like, and components are clearly the way to do things. Yeah. Um, and I, we know that everybody has felt the pain of of having separate markup from your your. Um, your JavaScript driving it. So like they'll, they'll love this. And we didn't realize that like, that's not how the rest of the world thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's not how the real world works. Like outside of the Facebook, uh, the walls. Interesting. So it was like a product launch, right? Oh yeah. It's like a major product launch, but specifically 
to developers. So had you guys at that point, had, had you even, I guess, no, because it wasn't open source, but I was going to say there wasn't any real evidence that other companies or anyone else was going to like use it, right? It was just like you guys saying, we believe this is the future, here it is. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I like I felt really passionate about it being the being the future. Um, and remember, we had already done the internal open sourcing from Facebook to Instagram and brought it into a foreign code base, so we knew that it yeah. was usable. Yeah, um, which is a big problem with like a lot of these open source texts that are like open source from an internal company thing. It's like just completely unusable. Um, right. Oh, that's an important point. Yeah, so it really had important. already been used outside of quote-unquote Facebook by Instagram so right. we had already dealt with some of some of those challenges okay right yeah, that's a good point mm. yeah so that that was um, that was hugely beneficial and we had we also remember also we had ported it to require JS and I think right around the time we were open sourcing it we were migrating Insta we had evaluated all these module bundlers because we had to get away from this terrible script and we decided to go with webpack which was pretty mm. unknown at the time and so we oh I didn't know that you guys were like one of the first uh, Webpack users. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, I discovered Webpack. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mm, take credit for that. Nice. One. <laughs> okay. Webpack has you to thank. Right. I, I, I mean, I didn't write a single line of code or anything, but um, right. It, it, and it was you know our team actually did a, a a big evaluation of a bunch of different bundlers. We looked at uh, writing our own. We looked at Browserify. We looked at writing our own with Browserify components. We looked at um, uh, there was something All the modular. Yeah, there was Google Module Server, I think was another one. Okay. Uh, there was a ton. There was a ton, okay. But code splitting is is what... We needed code splitting. We were basically building out all these products. We didn't want to have to download the profile page if you were on the photo page. Yeah. Because um, again, search engine optimization performance matters. Um, so we had to do that. Gotcha. Okay. So Webpack was being used when you open sourced React. I think it was just, I think we had like moved over, um, we had maybe just finished moving over, um, oh. I, I don't actually remember the exact timing, but like, yeah. well, Webpack came in like pretty soon after the Facebook, or after the React open source, if I remember correctly. Gotcha. Okay. So what do you think was the big driver behind, you know, like everyone starting to adopt it? Right, and what did that adoption look like from the inside looking out? Yeah, let me walk you through um, how it got adopted. So everybody hated it at JSConf 2013. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And um, nobody used it, uh, and it was it was just kind of like a disaster. Um, well, actually, we had an IRC channel. A couple people, if you know Cheng Lu and Ben Alpert, um, both of whom now work for Facebook. They were these kind of people that stumbled into the IRC room. They were like, hey, I really liked your JSConf video. Um, which we were like, really? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Nobody else did. <laughs> Come work here. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it took years. It took years. Yeah. Um, uh, so we basically, anybody that came to the IRC, like I was always in there. Chris Shadow was always in there. And so we would get notifications whenever anyone would join. And we would welcome them. We would answer any questions like super, super quick. And... Uh, and so we, you know, those first couple of people that came to the community, like, were up and running pretty fast um, because of that support. Mm. Then JSConf EU uh, was later that year, um, and Tomo, I was sitting next to Tomo at the time, and and he was like, I don't want to do this stupid conference talk because you know, remember his last one yeah. was, was so fun. 
And I was like, I'll do it. And he was like, all right. And so, nice. so I wrote this talk um, and I was like, um, I'm not going to try to convince you that React is better. I'm just going to tell you why it's different and why nobody is. And these are the, the three or four things that nobody's tried before. Good job. And yeah. that, that was a lot more, people were a lot more receptive to that. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, in reality, we, we were pretty sure it was going to work. Um, yeah, yeah. But you can't just come in and say, hey, we got a better solution. You should just do it this way. You got to say, hey, here's the stuff that's different. And then you work work your way to it's the diff. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Nice. Okay. So your, your talk was a hit. Yeah, talk, talk was a hit. Um, ended up doing a lot more talks um, based on kind of the success of that one. Uh, we got um, we talked to David Nolan, who is the guy who made Closure Script. Uh, he had been waiting for something like this, and um, he wrote a really kind of famous blog post called "The Future of JavaScript MVCs," where he mm-hmm. talked about how great React was. Um, that caused a really big step function increase in React popularity. And another thing that we did is we had this wiki page of like companies using React. So if any company had one tiny little project that was using React, we'd put their name there. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so this I think, is, I think this is pre pre stack shared. What when was that? What year was that? That was twenty thirteen. Yeah, uh, maybe the beginning of twenty fourteen. Yeah, we always saw that and we we're like, man, that eventually needs to be on stack share. Like just listing out all the customers, but. It's powerful, right? Because mm-hmm. that's like one of the first things you're evaluating is like, okay, Facebook has used it, obviously, but mm-hmm. who else? Yeah, the first question is like, does anybody big use this? Well, Facebook uses it. Okay. Second, does anybody besides the authors use this? Because mm-hmm. you don't know if it works outside of Facebook use cases. And yeah. that's, yeah, like, like the stack share is obviously like a good idea. Like it's been replicated on wikis how many times? Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, props to that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it sounds like the the wiki page was like part of the strategy, right? The marketing. Yeah, it was really important. Um, was that your idea? Uh, it was either mine or Chris Shadow's. I don't remember. Okay. We, we each kind of had different channels. Like I was the... Marketing hat on. I was the person doing all the conference talks and sitting mm-hmm. in IRC. And Chris was... Um, he was writing blog posts, like a lot of blog posts. Um, and I think Ben Alpert was answering everything on Stack Overflow. And so everybody kind of, you know, had their thing that they were good at and, and worked on that. Gotcha. Awesome. So I guess, yeah, let me let me try to run through some of these questions sure. um, from the community. Um, some of this we touched on uh, coming back to just like philosophies, right? Um, one of the questions here is, um, how did functional programming influence just the whole React philosophy of state props um, determining output, right? Like, did that did that ever enter your mind or was that just like it existed and you were like, that makes total sense? Yeah, so it's the way React works is very similar to how the web works, right? You get some data, you render a web page and you send it down the pipe and that's conceptually how React works. Um, this, I mean, this was Jordan's big insight. And um, yet, the answer is yes, functional programming absolutely influenced React because V0 of React was written in OCaml, um, Mm. which is a functional programming language. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Um, As far as React entering Facebook, right? We didn't really get into that and how it like started to take on Facebook stuff um, outside of ads, but um, did it did it hinder or help collaboration on specific features or, or do you have any insight into like how it impacted the way that things were being built 
Yeah, when we talk about the evaluations and bake-offs, it's not just opening the profiler and seeing what the TTI is. It's also taking a look at, at how the team is executing. Is it easy to reuse code? Is it easy to, to do code review and coordinate? And how stable is it? When the core makes a change, do we have to throw out all of our apps or, or can the core team refactor everything for us? So. Okay, so that's that's upfront part of the evaluation is yeah. like, does it make this easier or harder to work together? That's, that's right. And another thing that um, is often overlooked about React um, when you think about stability, um, within Facebook, there are, I don't work there anymore, but um, when I left, there were tens of thousands uh, of React components, which probably translates to hundreds of thousands of lines of code. And whenever React wants to make a breaking change, they can't tell other people to refactor their code. They have to refactor those hundreds of thousands of lines of code themselves. Oh, interesting. The React team has, the React to, do team has to do it all. Wow. And so what that means is it has to be automatable with some sort of script. And those scripts are shared with the community. And, and that's why you don't get an Angular 2 scenario with React because like the people paying the price are the, the people actually making the breaking changes. Mm, got you. That's, yeah, no, that's smart. And, and also you said React team. When did that become a thing? Ooh. I don't know. Back when I was there, the React team was Jordan, who was working on, I think, the product infrastructure team, me, who was um, on the Instagram engineering, web engineering team, uh, Chris Chideau, who um, was my colleague on photos, actually, hmm. and he was working on photos and just helping out with React. Um, there, there's a bunch of other guys, like um, Tim Young was on UIE, and I think he contributed. Tama was a manager of UIE. Um, Sebastian, okay. was, Sebastian was working on um, the analytics products and, and was, okay. was obviously working on React. Okay. So then when you say React team, you, you're talking about core contributors. Yeah. Like now there's a, I think there's like a, a real core team and they might Inside. actually have, I think they actually have a manager at Facebook and they have you know, weekly or monthly meetings where they invite the external contributors in. Uh, back then it was like whoever's working on React and is, is jazzed about it. Gotcha. So it was like six, seven people, it sounds like. Uh, yes, at tops, yeah. And then do you know how many people are working on React today at Facebook? Check GitHub. It's it's all, that's one of the things those that's are, changed. Yeah, but those are going to be everyone, right? Like external and internal. Well, if you sum up... Um, I, like iOS React Native, Android React Native, the web and the core team, it's tens of engineers there. And then if you think about everybody writing React apps at Facebook. Yeah, lot. yeah. It's no, I mean, there, there are people specifically tagged to just working on React or is it still people just like they're using React? Yeah. And I they're think, contributing. Again, you know, I don't work there anymore, but I think that there is um, like four or five people working on React core. And then for each platform, like web, iOS, and Android, there's another, you know, team of, I don't know, 10 people or something working on that. Gotcha. Okay. On the payroll. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, we didn't really talk about server-side rendering, but do you want to touch on that? Was that like after you had, you had left? No. Um, so server-side rendering was one of those things I thought was really cool. And 
um, when I started using React, one of the reasons why I got really excited about it was I would go and ask Jordan, I'd be like, hey, can React do X? And he'd be like, yeah, like it was designed to do that. And like render client-side, server-side, any mobile platform natively. Mm. Um, I just thought that was incredible and, and required a lot of foresight. Uh, and so the thing was when I joined, when I started working on React, like the server-side rendering piece was, was more theoretical than actually worked in practice. And so like I had to build the API for it. Um, again, going back to the SEO thing, we wanted to server render the, those photo pages so they could be crawled by Google. And so we, you know, I learned Node.js for that and um, built the, the first server rendering API. Um, yeah. In practice at Facebook, I'm not sure how much traction it has. I know that there's a lot of companies that do depend on it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, okay, so that was, a, okay, yeah. So server-side rendering had already been, at least conceptually, it was part of React from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and then you built some stuff in Node to take advantage of that. So the, it was conceptually in React, but there wasn't, um, basically what React does is it builds up a big markup string and then like puts it into the page. It, well, that's what it used to do. And there was no way of just building up that pay, that markup string. And so the first step was like, okay, how do I get that markup string? And then wrote an API for that. And then we ran it in Node and we said, oh shit, like they're actually using set time, or not set time, they're actually using like the window object or document dot something. Mm -hmm. And so we had to weed out all of those things. And then so then there was some branching in there and some abstraction and, um, you know, because as you add more contributors, they weren't thinking about that. Um, and so they, we had to kind of roll back some of that stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so I guess in general, like, what do you think, uh, actually, one other question before I get to the, the future. If you could change one thing about React today, what would it be and why? Yeah, that's a great question. There are certain things that I always wanted to do that I just never got around to doing. Because I've, I've actually never worked on React full-time. I've always been working on a product or managing a team that was working on a product and like half-timing on React. Uh, I, so when we launched um, this JavaScript fatigue thing, it was a big deal almost instantly. You know, like our answer, we, didn't have, we intentionally left a lot of kind of open questions for you know, routing and data fetching and state management and styling and accessibility and internationalization, all that stuff. Like we didn't have opinions about it. Um, what I wanted to do was I wanted to have like a React team certified badge where we say, hey, we are blessing this third party library. And yeah. we say that this is the right thing to do. And um, I, I just wanted to, to um, you know, be very opinionated about that type of thing. Yeah. Even if it, because the flip side of that, right, is like you might alienate somebody or you might, um, you know, stifle innovation in some ways. And I get that. And there's been a lot of innovation in the React community. So I'm not saying it would have been better, but that's, I still feel like it, that would have been a good idea. No, I mean, this is something we hear frequently, right? Mm -hmm. Like stack share on, like there's so many questions around React. It's like, what's the right way to do things? Mm -hmm. So it's a mixture of, of best practices, but it's also just about like, what is the entire toolkit that I should be using, right? Like, mm -hmm. There's so many questions that you guys intentionally left open yeah. that um, it seems like create React app was kind of like a step in that direction, yep. but it's not the full like scaffolding, like going the Rails route of like, here's everything you need and, and just 
install, right? Yeah, I want to actually make like a subtle distinction, um, which is I want to be more. What I wanted was a was a badge that was like a seal of quality. So oh oh, you're like, talking about not even building that and like a, like not building something for it, just creating a structure to say this is something we approve. Yeah, I, I wanted to. So there's. Mm. Go on NPM and there's like 40 different React type of heads, right? Yeah. How many of those get accessibility right? How many of those get tab behavior right? How many of those are sufficiently um, stylable? How many of those mutate props, God forbid? Um, I want like, I was just thinking that the React team, people could submit, React team goes and does a quick code review, has, you know, maybe there's a checklist of like what we think, what we check for, hey, is this accessible, does it support right to left locales, that kind of thing. And then we say, yes, like this type of head is good. Um, or our yeah. passes this far, and we never did that. I think that there was an opportunity for somebody to do that. Um, mm, yeah, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the other way to do that is to just say like, what are people doing, right? So, if I was asking that question, I just like say like, hopefully, I'll go to the Smite page and say, all right, like, what are the, your your stack profile and say, okay, let me see everything that you know Pete's using. Yeah. Because that's like a roundabout way to do it without a coordinated effort to say like, well, what does Pete think is good? Yeah, that's right. Like if you if you look at kind of the, if you're trying to figure out which of one of these 20 different type head packages I'm going to use, a lot of times you just go on, um, a lot of times they're, they're not actually on Stackshare. Probably yeah. should be. Um, yeah, yeah. Some of the smaller libraries, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if they, if they were, I would go there. Um, but a lot of times just people go and look at the GitHub stars and the number of NPM installs. Absolutely. Which, yeah. you know. If somebody's got a lot of Twitter followers or hits the front page of Hacker News, um, yeah. by some roll of the dice, that, that can throw that number off. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, that's an interesting project. Uh, so going back, you would have created that from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have said, um, we think Webpack is the one true bundler. Mm. We think that... Um, you would have given Webpack the stamp. Yeah, I would have given... Well, because they, they're the only ones that get code splitting right. Um, yeah. they, don't, they don't get everything right, but like... Code splitting is such a requirement for so many apps that like, yeah, it's important. Absolutely. Um, the future. What do you think lies ahead for React? What are some of the things you're excited about? Maybe some of the things you're not excited about. You can include React Native in that. But um, what do you think is going to happen with React? And, and is there anything you're excited about or not? Well, Fiber just started passing all of its tests recently. And mm. that's a really cool project. I, um, I can't speak uh, super, you know, um, I'm not an expert on React Fiber is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So I would go defer to, to that team about that. But, but it, it does bring in a lot of really interesting concepts. Um, so that's really cool. I think the React VR announcement was really interesting. If you think about all the different things, that, all the different platforms you can target with React Native um, or, or with React, mm-hmm. there's iOS, Android, Web, VR now. Um, somebody released a React renderer for Microsoft Word the other day, um, which is not something you would normally think of. Nice. Um, but that's that's really cool, right? Because you teach these um, engineers how to write a little JavaScript and the, the basics of React, and then you just give them API documentation for all these platforms, and they can go move really quickly. So that's, that's really cool. That's stuff that I'm really excited um, to see. I'm sitting around waiting for the next release of the native... Um, Windows and Mac um, yeah. UI toolkits because mm. I, I bet they're going to look just like React. Yeah, um, I'm waiting for the day when the only way that you build UIs 
the only way you can build UIs is with the, the React paradigm. Mm, gotcha. Um, well, I guess, yeah, that kind of answers the question, but what do you think about Electron? Um, man. I got a... I don't know. I, I got question. Mi- I've got mixed. I've got mixed uh, opinions of it. Okay. Like, I get the the, the programmer productivity savings, mm-hmm. but it is really heavy. Yeah. Um, and we, I, I think that there's one thing that I would kind of change in the um, front end dev community in general. Yeah. Is people use this kind of like product uh, programmer productivity savings. Um, as an excuse for like you can justify like almost anything with that right so um, oh, I'm only adding five kilobytes of JavaScript or oh, I'm only adding um, 50 milliseconds on this render pass it's it's not a big deal um, you know that's premature optimization guess what like optimization is is premature like premature optimization is meaningless right because it's gonna be you know repeat that 50 milliseconds ten times and now you have half a second delay every time a component renders right mm-hmm. and so React came on the scene and was super, super fast because it was micro-benchmarked, because it was micro-optimized. Like, did we have to do that event object pool thing? Probably not, but nobody complained about garbage collection pauses um, when it came out. So, Gotcha. Okay. Know. So you're saying that sometimes those productivity gains come at the expense of performance and size. I'm, I'm saying that uh, there are things that sound really true that are repeated all, all the time. Like, yeah. you know, pre- premature optimization is, is one of those things where yeah. it's, it, it sounds great. It sounds like, oh, you're thinking about the big picture. Yeah. But in reality, you're, you're adding latency to your app and you don't have a... Um, a lot of people don't have a rubric for like, when is that okay and when is that not okay? Right, what's acceptable, yeah. And in some ways, that probably comes from just just your background too, right? Like those are the types of things you've had to think about on day one because of, you know, the scale that you've been operating at, right? Yeah. Facebook and then Instagram. So in a, in a sense, like that's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it means that you had to think about that first and that you like hold that dear, but yeah, sometimes that doesn't translate. I also like to follow places. people on Twitter that um, disagree with me or... Mm. Um, are from a totally different world of engineering. So I follow like a lot of game programmers mm. and like when something like Electron comes out or some use of JavaScript somewhere that they don't like, they they always just make fun of all JavaScript programmers. Like look at these, <laughs> these morons, blah, blah, blah. JavaScript land. Yeah. And then, and then the JavaScript people are like, oh, they're just a jerk and there's nothing true to what they're saying. And in reality, there are big benefits to bringing a language that everybody knows and has a world-class JIT to a new platform and building as much as you can in that platform. At the same time, we burn so many CPU cycles that we don't need to burn um, delivering pretty basic UIs. Mm. So I, I just think that we gotta, um, you gotta listen to, you gotta actually like, even if somebody is, is being a little offensive in the way that they like disagree with you, yeah. there still might be a kernel of truth to that. Yeah, absolutely. So one very important question. Are you guys using React at Smite? Yes, we are. Okay, awesome. (laughs) We are, absolutely. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Um, Do you want to tell people a little bit about Smite? They'll they'll learn more in the coming weeks. Oh, yeah. Hint, hint. (laughs) Yeah, so um, remember how I mentioned that uh, when Instagram came over, like, 
they took advantage of some of these tools that Facebook had, but we mostly left them alone. Yep. The one big one they took advantage of was Facebook's site integrity system for catching bad guys. So fake um, accounts, compromised accounts, spam, harassment. Um, and I was just struck by how important that was. And so we're, um, Smite is trust and safety as a service. So you plug your application into Smite, um, either your analytics stream or with our API. We'll analyze it for uh, bad behavior. So this can be spam, harassment, buyer side fraud. So like if you ever bought an apartment on, on Craigslist or rented an apartment on Craigslist, you know that there's some deals that are too good to be true. We try to find that stuff on marketplaces. Um, you know, fake credit cards. Um, you find deals that are too good to be true. Uh, so we work with a lot of marketplaces and mm. we try to find um, fake inventory. Mm. So those are often deals that are too good to be true. Sometimes they are terms of service violations. So every marketplace, the instant it gets started, people will like post drugs for sale and yeah. some of them, some marketplaces don't want it. Uh, and so we... Most, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know... With, some do. <laughs> with legalization now, it's, it's starting to get a little more um, yeah. uh, accepted, but, but still a lot of customers, you know, have it in their terms of service that they don't yeah. want that. And so that's a, it's a really interesting problem. It's a text classification problem. It's a user behavior um, classification problem. It's an image classification problem, um, all kind of rolled up into one really interesting um, product, uh, I think. So it's been really fun doing it. That's awesome. And it's been really fun building on all sorts of like new, like it's mostly infrastructure. Like we do have UIs, they are built with React. Um, but I think the really interesting problems are in the infrastructure and like being able to scale up to all these, these you know, hundreds of millions of monthly actives um, with an infra team of four people. It's pretty cool. Amazing, amazing. It's kind of like, if you think about it, that was one of the big stories about Instagram was like, they were able to do it with, you know, what, mm -hmm. five, six engineers, yeah, all writing application code, right? And, yeah. and they weren't worrying about the plumbing, so. And with Kubernetes, it's, the math is, is yeah. getting even more crazy. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's, yeah, a lot of people are excited about Kubernetes. Yeah. We could probably talk uh, for hours about that. Um, <laughs> So you guys are powering some pretty massive sites, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we work with a bunch of marketplaces like um, like GoFundMe and Indiegogo and and YouCaring, uh, social apps like Quora and Musically. Uh, yeah, there's on demand services, TaskRabbit, Olex. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of if you think about like any sort of peer to peer application or two sided application. Um, they're built on the idea of like their users trusting them and that it's a safe place to, to interact with people or safe place to transact. And in order to do that, it's, it's a, you need a lot of, of automatic analysis as well as, as kind of a nice human element to, um, to understand those kind of gray area cases. So that, that's what we do. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> one thing that came to mind was that you being, um, you know, such a strong believer in React the the natural <laughs> assumption would be like you're gonna go build something around React. So what made you, you know, like what inspired you to start Smite and and like how did that even come about? Did you go straight from Facebook to Smite? Yep, yep. As soon as my um, as soon as I handed in my gun and badge at Facebook, I, I mm. went and I, I bought a new computer and uh, and started writing code for Smite. Mm. Um, but the idea, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, if you think of Facebook as being kind of five years ahead of everybody else, um, their approach to trust and safety um, is something that would be useful for, for other companies. And so 
we wanted, I was like, I saw this thing, it was really, really valuable and important, and I was like, okay, you shouldn't have to sell your company in order to solve this problem. And so that's why we started Smite to go and, and try to help out the um, companies that aren't Facebook um, and can't afford to you know, get an army of engineers and a, a million servers to, to solve this problem. Right, like every other company in the world, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Like every company. Nice got addressable this market. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, better or worse, it's a growing market. Um, yeah. So. Um, awesome, man. This is amazing. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me.